Jesus. Last week, as we dove into this series called Streams, we kind of had this image, right? We talked about Moses and how there was this battle between Israel and the Amalekites. And whenever Moses had his arms held high, the Israelites won the battle. And whenever his arms fell, they lost the battle. And so there's the reality that Joshua was this leader who is actually fighting with an army in the midst of this valley. And Moses is a real person who's standing on a hill overlooking it. And his brother-in-law, or his brother Aaron's with him and his brother-in-law her. And they're holding his arms up because, I mean, it's pretty simple. You think, Moses, come on, man, it's not that hard. Like, all you have to do to win the battle is keep your arms up high. And you're good. And he couldn't even do that. And so there's this cool picture of God's, and God's role God's sovereignty, God being in charge, but the role that we also get to play. And so as we look at this this series, Streams of Transformation, that's what we're looking at. A stream is a body of water that has movement. And as we read the scriptures, we recognize God is the one who's moving. God is the one who's transforming. That's the good news of the gospel, that it's not dependent on us. Our role, though, is to dive into those waters again and again and again. And repentance is one of those. So... Though you might not be thrilled, I think this is an incredible, um, incredibly important topic for us for the sake of marriages and family and businesses and our culture and community. Repentance is one of the very few things in life that can actually cause change when Jesus is in the midst and transforming. I don't know when you hear repent or or you read repent for the kingdom of God is near, repent for the, the kingdom of heaven is near, how you feel. Right? But that feeling is a connotation. So there's a connotation with, with different words. And I'm guessing what you feel when you hear repent is not good. It's not warm. It's not happy. But actually, I fully believe the word repent is a beautiful and good word. And so one of my hopes is that through our time this morning, you actually have a reversal of the connotation for you with the word repentance. Because I think it's actually Good, as we dive into what it is. I was thinking through some of the, the words with the best connotations, and you've got beautiful, love, I like restoration, healing, bountiful, generous, peaceful, harmonious, honorable, jubilant, marvelous, powerful, phenomenal, remarkable, trustworthy, victorious, worthy, willing, well. Like those words sound good, they feel good, we like those. Repentance should be in that camp. But I think because we misunderstand it, It's not. I think of repentance almost like going on a hike. I don't like hiking. That's important to note for this analogy. But my wife likes hiking, so I go hiking. I do like it when we're on Telluride, though. We go to Telluride usually once a year. We'll go in another month or so in Colorado. And so there's this hike we've done up to a waterfall at like 13,000 feet. And the first time we did this hike, I'm not excited because I'd rather be doing other things, but my wife likes hiking, so we're hiking. And as we're going up, after about an hour of like straight up and it seems like there's no oxygen, I'm pretty tired. So we stop and we drink some water and eat a little food. And then we keep going. And I'm thinking like, we have got to be close. And there's this guy coming down and he's like, you're close, it's worth it. And like another hour and a half later, I'm like, Where is this waterfall? And if you're anything like me when you hike, as I'm hiking, every step I take, I'm thinking to myself, I have to take all of those steps going the other way when I get done. Like, maybe I should stop now. I don't know if the waterfall is worth it. And so you're tired and it's exhausting and you're like, there's a price to pay. But you get to this waterfall 
and the water's rushing over this cliff on top of this mountain at 13,000 feet or something like it, and it falls into this body of water, and it's like powerful, and it's misting, and you sit on this boulder overlooking this massive valley thousands of feet below, and you go like, that is good. That is beautiful. Like the hike wasn't easy, but it was worth it. And that's kind of my picture of repentance. I'm not going to tell you it's easy. I'm not going to tell you it's painless or comfortable or fun. It's not. We'll be very clear about that. But you get to the top and and you experience the waterfall and the people you're with and the good that it does. And it's restorative. It's right. It's good. And so that's kind of the approach that we have with this word repent. As we discuss it this morning, we'll kind of just work through a few different questions. What is repentance? How often should we repent? How do we repent? How big of an issue or sin does it need to be for us to actually repent? Like we'll kind of just talk through these various things, but we'll start with this one. What is repentance? And really at its most simple form, it's just this. It's a return. That's what the word repent means. Um, You could say to turn, but I think it's actually much more helpful to say return. Because the idea is there's no such thing as repentance if you're not returning to a specific location or way of life. In this context, as we talk about repentance, we're returning to God's intent. In the beginning, God created, and over and over again, we talk about this frequently, he said, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then in Genesis 3, it was bad because we walked away from God and his intent. Why? Because Satan is brilliant. Satan is the greatest salesman of all time. Because he can take something that is so much lesser and worse and distorted that will actually cause pain and get us to choose it again and again and again. And so repentance is not this idea of God saying, you're so messed up, I hate what you're doing, I can't stand it, I don't like you. I think sometimes we feel that way. Then we have this connotation with repentance. But more so, God is saying this, what I have for you is so much better. What I have for you is good and whole and right. I made you for this, but you're stuck over there. So turn around and return to this gift of life that I want you to have. Rob Bell, who's controversial, and as we're looking at theology, is rightfully controversial, I would say, still makes some really good points sometimes. And he does about repentance. I love what he says. He says, repentance takes two things very seriously. Repentance takes our badness our sin very seriously, and repentance takes our goodness, the fact that we were created in God's image, and he said it is good very seriously. I think oftentimes when we hear the word repent, we just focus on the bad, but really it's more so focused on the good. Repentance says you were made well, you were made brilliantly. You look at some of the things in this world, buildings that have been made or art that's been created or music and industry and relationships and working together, and you go like, it's good. You think about some of your your favorite foods or the best relationships or moments or the most beautiful parts of the world, and you can just stop and go, this is good. And you go, all of that comes from the Father, from our Creator. And then we can turn on the news and go, there is so much that is ugly and devastating and broken and not good. And it's all a distortion of God's good creation. Repentance takes seriously both our goodness being made in his image and our badness, sin, the fact that Satan's really good at deceiving us and causing us to rebel. Repentance is really important because repentance is really powerful. It's a return. 
And Colossians chapter 3, which we just spent a lot of time in, actually paints the picture pretty well for us. It says this. Therefore, Paul says, put to death, be done with what belongs to your worldly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath comes on the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now you must also put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy abusive language from your mouth. Okay, we're putting off, we're turning from. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices. And now here's where we transition from repentance, or excuse me, we transition from confession to repentance. You have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now there's a return to what God's intent is. Accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. You start to see this picture. We're not just confessing. We're not just focusing on what is wrong. Actually, you can't even have a concept of repentance unless you understand what God's intent is, what his desires are. And that brings us to this point. How do we know? What what does it look like to understand God's ways? We oftentimes here say we're seeking to become human the way God made us to be. That line for us is simply a tool. I I ask myself this question all the time. What does it look like for me in this moment to be a husband the way God wants me to be a husband for Chelsea? What does it look like in, in this moment for me to be a father the way God created me to be a father? What does it look like in this moment for me to be a friend the way God created me to be a friend? And so you think about the different hats you wear. You all wear different hats. You have different relationships, different environments you're in. What does it look like for you to be you the way God has created you to be in that context, in that role, in that hat that you wear? Repentance, I think, is more about who to be and what to do rather than who not to be and what not to do. But again, we get stuck on this camp. We think it's just confession, and there's a difference. There's a big difference between confession and repentance. And I would would phrase it this way. Confession is part one. Confession is the first step to true and biblical repentance. I want to go ahead and take a look at Psalm 51 because it's a picture of repentance. But you have to understand the context first. And it's pretty ugly. It's an extremely ugly broken context because David, who is king of Israel, was doing a really good job at being king of Israel. He was anointed by the Lord and listening to him and the land was prospering until he's chilling on his rooftop and he sees a gorgeous naked woman and that just ruins everything for him because he sees her and he wants her and so he takes her and she probably has no say in the matter and then he realizes that she's married and he doesn't care and then he ends up killing her husband. Like this got ugly extremely fast. And he doesn't repent. And things are getting devastating and ugly for the nation. Until finally this prophet tells a story about a man who stole a sheep. A man who had a ton of sheep. Who stole a sheep from a man who had one. And and David says, well, throw that guy in prison. 
And Nathan, the prophet, says, well, that's you. And finally it hits David what he's done and he's broken. And this takes time because he's stubborn like a lot of us. But then we find David actually repenting and broken and humble in Psalm 51. Here we go. As we read this, listen to David's heart, where he's at, and also who he makes the main character. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion, wash away my guilt, and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Repentance takes seriously our badness and our goodness. And we get a model of repentance from David here. There's so much theology packed into these five verses. We're going to start with verse 5. David knows this. He recognizes that sin is in him. It's a part of him. That it distorts him. That he was born and immediately had a propensity to try to play God. To be selfish. To seek his best interests. And that doesn't change for us. As babies, we cry out and we're selfish. We just get more manipulative and better at hiding it as we grow up. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. David also shows us that he's aware. He's confessing. He's taking ownership for his sin. He says, for I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. It's bothering him. It's devastating him. You can picture after all this evil he's done, the feeling in his gut of remorse and sorrow. But through all of this, who's the main character? Who's David relying on and dependent on to transform? Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love. It's about God's character. According to your abundant compassion. And then who do the verbs belong to? The verbs belong to God. Blot out my rebellion, God. Wash away my guilt, God. And cleanse me from my sin, God. David knows his place. He's messed up royally. But he can't fix it. And so he comes on his knees humbly and broken before God and says, God, transform my heart. And continue in in verse 6. Surely you desire, David says, integrity in the inner self. And you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. Again, who is doing the work? Who is doing the transforming? God, blot out all my guilt. Turn away your face from me. Forgive. And that's what Jesus has done. Now because of the sacrifice and love of Jesus, when the Father looks at you as messed up as you and I are, and we are, it's funny, that's what brings us all in this room together. It's really, really interesting. Like, of all places, or or people that we gather with, the church, like, the thing that brings us together is that we're acknowledging we're messed up and sinners, But of all places and people we gather with, this is often the place we want to put on our church clothes, physically and spiritually, and pretend we have it together. But really, like, we should just be known for repenting and confession, because that's why you're here, and that's why I'm here, because we need Jesus. David knows that, and he's dependent on God. Verse 10, God create a clean heart for me, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and give me a willing spirit. This is one of the most important lines in all of the scriptures. One of my favorite, especially in in this chapter of the Bible. Give me a willing spirit. In this, David's acknowledging 
that he doesn't, like, his heart's not even right. It's almost like, God, I want my heart to be right. I want to want the right things, but I don't. Give me a willing spirit. I don't even have that, but I want it. So, God, will you allow that to happen? Then I will teach the rebellious your ways, and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Does it almost sound like there's a transaction or an exchange going on there? Save me, God, and I'll praise you. If you do this, God, I'll do that. Do you ever sin, mess up, do something wrong, and then start bartering with God? Hey, God, if you just give me a pass this time, I'm going to praise you. God, if you just do this, I'm going to go to church this whole month. Or I'm going to give something, or I'm going to pray more, or whatever. We do that. We have this economy of exchange when it comes to our relationship with God. But that's, that's not at all what, what David is saying. Look at the next line. This is really important because I think we're all prone to try to barter with God. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. David knows God well in this point. When we get broken, we get to know God well. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and humbled heart. One of the greatest mistakes that we make when it comes to repentance is that we repent in order to make up for our sin. If you're repenting to make up for your mistakes and your sin, just stop because it can't happen. It doesn't work. That's what Jesus did. He made up for our sin. He paid the price. All glory to him, not us. So if you're trying to make up for your sin with repentance, like it's just going to fail. It's not going to go good. You're wasting your time. We can just stop. Matt Chandler breaks this down really well for us. I want to read you a quote from him. But first, we have to read Isaiah chapter 1, 10 and 11, because this says the same thing. Isaiah is speaking to Israel. And Israel does what we do oftentimes as we call ourselves Christian. We live a certain way. And when we get into trouble, we try to be religious or spiritual, to to pay God back by, by doing certain things. And here's what God says to them. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What are all your sacrifices to me? Asked the Lord. I have had enough of your burnt offerings and rams and the fat of well-fed cattle. I have no desire for the blood of bulls, lambs, or male goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires this from you, this trampling of my courts? And in essence, God is saying, you're doing all this religious stuff and I don't care at all because you're entirely missing the point. You don't make up for your sin to me. That's not what sacrifices are about. Because you keep just sinning. And and sin isn't something I care about as a test. I care. It devastates me. It frustrates me. I get angry when you sin because you're settling for so much less than my good intent. Than what is perfect and whole and right. Repentance takes seriously our badness and our goodness. Matt, Matt Chandler puts it this way in his book, The Explicit Gospel. He says, the selection from Isaiah highlights the problem with the sacrificial system, both then and now. God doesn't need sacrifices. God is saying, I don't need your bulls. I don't want your goats. You're missing the point. I'm trying to communicate to you how disgusting and how horrible and how costly your sin is before me. Again, why is it disgusting and terrible and devastating? Not because God hates you, but because you're settling for something so much worse. You're choosing something that hurts yourself and people rather than God's perfect gift. 
He says, and instead of feeling the weight of that and actually repenting, you just keep doing what you're doing, all the while doing religious stuff, bringing me goats and bulls. We don't bring goats and bulls, but other religious services. Like, that's what I really want. They're like the wife beater who brings his wife flowers. She doesn't want his stupid flowers. She wants him to repent. She wants to be honored. That's heavy, but that's, that's the picture. That's what we do. We, we recognize sometimes that we've messed up and we've done broken, brutal things, sinful things, big and little, all kinds of scale, different quality and quantities. And then what we do is we try to come up with this blanket of good services or acts or words or to, to pay, the, pay the price with some like religious blanket and we throw it over the bad thinking that it's going to cover it and all go away and it doesn't. That's what, that's what David is saying here. You do not want a sacrifice or I'd give it. You're not interested in religion and offerings and these different things. What you want is a broken heart that says, God, I can't do this. But I believe that you're faithful and abounding in love and good. And so I want to return, repent, leave what is bad and return to what is good. Because that's what you've promised for me and offered freely through Jesus, not my own work. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and a humble heart. What's the end goal for David? I mean, he's messed up. This is a big scale. He's really blown it. But the end goal is restoration to being human the way he was made to be. He's really failed as a husband. And God's slowly but surely saying... Here's what it looks like to be the husband you were made to be. He's really failed epically as a father. And there would be a price to pay still. His family would be a a disaster, but David would do better. Here's what it looks like to be a father the way you were made to be. He's failed as a leader for this whole nation. And God says, here's what it looks like to be a leader the way you were made to be. The, The goal of repentance is not to make up for sin, but rather to return from the bad to what God has created that is good. And this is true in all of the different hats you wear, the roles you have, the relationships you're in. Which leads us to our next question. In this case, we're talking about adultery and murder. Those are pretty big. How big of a sin, of an issue, does it have to be for us to repent? And if we're asking that question, I would just say we're actually asking the wrong question. Because, again, we're missing the point. If we're asking how big of a deal does it have to be for me to repent, well, we're trying to make up for it. We're putting a blanket over what's wrong. And God says that's not the intent of repentance. The intent is returning to what is good that God designed and created. How often should we repent? My wife, Chelsea, has been doing some yoga lately. And so there's different, like, membership options. That stuff is expensive. And so you just want to do math to save money. And she can do one of two things. You either buy a membership and go as often as you want or you buy like a 10-class package. And if you're not going to go enough to justify the full membership, well, you buy the class package. So that's what she does because she only goes once or twice a week. And I was thinking about this because here's the thing. We all need the full-blown membership when when it comes to the repentance club. Like you need to be going all the time. I need to live there. And if I do, my wife is really thankful because repentance is good. It's a word that's good. It's a, it's a word that says, I'm going to return to being a husband the way I was made to be. I'm acknowledging I blow it. And that's okay because we all do. In our, our relationships, 
and our parenting and our vocations and our hobbies. We're here together. Let's just get it out of the way because you're messed up just like I am and we all need Jesus. And so repentance isn't a negative word. We've already acknowledged that. It's a beautiful word where Jesus says, come back because my arms are wide open and there's something so much better for you in all your relationships, in your workplace, in your hobbies, in everything. And so repent actually becomes this good, holistic, restorative word. It doesn't focus on the negative. It goes there. The hike's real. The pain is there. There's a price to be paid. But the waterfall at the end is absolutely worth it. Now, I want to close with just a few practical things. What does it look like to repent? How do we repent? And there's, there's three steps to this process. The first is self-awareness and confession. Now, confession and repentance are different, okay? Confession, again, is step one of repentance. The first step, though, is to recognize, to have awareness of what is wrong, of what is not in line with God's intent. And really, there's two ways to do so. One is by reading the scriptures. That's why reading the Bible is so important. If you don't read the Bible, you're not going to know what God's intent is for you as a husband or a wife, a father or a mother, an employee or an employer in the different areas of life. You need to read the scriptures to know what God's intent is. And also his spirit. And his spirit and the scriptures are always unified. So if your spirit's telling you something different than the scriptures, it's the wrong spirit. Just how it works. Self-awareness and confession. And here's the rule for all three of these steps. And it's a painful rule. It's not fun. Be specific. The more specific you are, the more likelihood of, of true fruit, of transformation, of God moving. Heath Lambert puts it this way. He says, the reality is that in the Christian life, detailed and specific repentance leads to change that lasts. So when you confess, when you have awareness, maybe you're just, it's just between you and God, or maybe someone else is involved. It's one thing just to think it. It's better to actually say it out loud. It's probably even better to write it. Because if you write it, you're, you're really aware. You've thought about it. You've owned it. You have awareness. Step two, turn from. It's one thing to, to be aware. It's a whole other thing to actually turn from it. Uh, about four years ago, when my daughter was about two, we went on a, a trip to Disneyland, and I didn't want her to be awake and screaming the whole drive. So we left Disneyland, Anaheim, at like 10 p.m., and we started on this journey home, just Chelsea, me, and Aaliyah. Aaliyah's asleep, and we're driving this little Hyundai Elantra, and we make it about, I don't know, three, four hours, and I got distracted. I don't know what happened, but I missed the turn, and so we kept going towards Phoenix, and being the brilliant person that I am, I thought, and a man, I thought, you know what, I can just make up for some lost time. Rather than doing a U-turn, which would have wasted 40 minutes and finding that turn off, or going all the way to Phoenix, there's this little mining town coming up. And I know that if we just make it through the mining town, it'll actually connect, which is really smart, especially at 3 a.m. without cell phone service, who knows how much gas and no spare tire. And so my lovely wife wakes up, I don't know how many miles into this town terrible dirt road. Like you could barely call it a road. And she's like, hey, we should probably turn around. No, babe, we're fine. It's going to be okay. Another mile or two and like 20 minutes later going like five miles an hour because it's like, feels like we're on a ride at Disneyland with no spare tire. I don't know why cars do that. That drives me crazy. There should always be a spare tire. It's terrible. Those spare or tire repair kits. I hate those. But anyway, we're driving and she says, no, we probably should turn around. I'm like, no, we're good. We're fine. 
We'll get there. And then finally we get to this gate where it's like you can't go any further. And it's about four in the morning. And Aaliyah's starting to wake up and I realize, okay, I'm just going to have to admit it now. We're, we're lost. This was a terrible idea. We're going to have to turn around. And we do. But here's the thing. Recognizing I was lost, like it was long before I actually turned around. Like I knew we were lost. But I didn't turn around yet. There's a difference. Repentance isn't just awareness and confession. It's turning around, it's turning from what's bad, and then it's turning to what's good. And so often what happens is we make confession and repentance synonymous, and all we do is acknowledge we're lost. That doesn't do any good. I guess that's the step, but if you stop there, great, at least you know. But that doesn't do any good. You have to turn from and turn to what God's intent is. Joanne Young puts it this way. Um, In her book, Knowing Grace, she says, Confession is the precursor of repentance. In agreeing with God about anything that displeases him, we take responsibility for the transgression. This leads to a change in attitude toward the offense. We begin to understand how ugly sin is and how much God hates it. Why? Because we're settling for less. He's got something so good. And we say, no, we like what Satan is selling because he's really good at making it look good. Repentance involves both a change in attitude, this part's key, this is the whole series, and a dependence on the power of God's spirit to affect transformation. You can try to repent all day long. You can try to get your act together, and it's not going to happen unless you're dependent on God's spirit. Confession and repentance without a forward-moving dependence on God can lead to a cycle of repeated confessions of diminishing returns. You can hear David's prayer. Create in me a clean heart, O God. God, give me a spirit of willingness I want that, but I'm not even willing. I don't even have that. So, God, you've got to be the one to transform. We go back to our steps. The first one, confess and awareness. Be specific. The second step is turn from. Again, be specific. God, I'm turning from this thing. Or if you've harmed somebody, tell them, I'm turning from this action. God, transform my heart. Then step three, I'm turning to. We start with confession. I've done this wrong. I turn from it, and then I turn to what is good. Repentance isn't repentance unless we return to God's intent. And there, too, we need to be specific. I'm turning from this action. God, I want to turn to your intent. So if it's a a husband who's angry with his wife and yells, I'm turning from yelling, probably because I want to be in control. And I'm turning to being loving and patient and kind and devoted. The more specific we are, the more helpful it's going to be. Ephesians 4, 25 through 32 puts it this way. Since you put away lying, speak the truth. We put off, we put on. We have awareness and confession. We turn from and then we turn to. Put away lying, speak the truth. Each one to his neighbor because we are members of one another. Look at verse 28. Here's a specific example. The thief must no longer steal. Let's have awareness. Let's not steal. We're going to turn from that. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands. But I love this. It doesn't stop there. That's what we should do instead. But then we were given the why. So that he has something to share with anyone in need. It's the call of the church to be generous. It's a return to what is good. No foul or abusive language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone. Don't tear somebody down with your language. Don't hurt them, but, or instead, turn from that and turn to giving what is good for building someone up to give grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit who sealed you for the day of redemption. We'll stop there. 
Last slide I want to show you is this. It's kind of just a tool to use for a self-assessment of where repentance is needed. The, the first thing that we need to do is ask the question, what, what hats are you wearing in life? What roles do you play? So again, I, I gave the example for me. I wear the hat of husband. I wear the hat of father. I wear the hat of coach. I wear the hat of pastor, of coworker. What hats do you wear? What relationships do you have in what places? That's the first step in this assessment. The second is to go. You're not even going to think about you for a second, okay? You're not analyzing self. You're just going to do this. What would it look like for me to embrace that hat, that role, each of them, to the glory of God and his intent? That is not asking the question, how am I doing at it? It's not saying, this is what I'm doing. It's saying, what would it look like to be a husband the way God created me to be a husband? What would it look like for me to be a coach the, God, the way God created me to be a coach? To be a coworker the way God created me to be a coworker? And, and get a picture of that. And if you don't know, we have to read the scriptures and seek his spirit to teach us. Then the third step, and they have to be separate, is this. Where is there a gap? Here's the roles you play. You're defining what it looks like to be human the way God made us to be in those roles. And then you're saying, where's the gap? Where do I not look like that? And that's where we repent. See, now you have a tool. Now you have something specific, hopefully that you wrote down and you bring it before and you confess and say, I'm aware of this, Father. Change my heart. And then you turn from it and you say, God, transform my heart. I'm turning from that. We're going to be specific. And then you turn to what is good, what is right, what is whole, what is beautiful, and say, God, transform my heart. God, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Repenting is not glamorous, and it's not fun, but it's actually one of the most powerful gifts that God gives us. Culturally, we talk about all these ideas and change, and political campaigns are built on that word change. And it doesn't happen. But God has given us this gift of repentance through his spirit and our unity with Christ where change can actually happen. In the midst of broken marriages and parenting and workplaces, change can happen through repentance. How often do you try to fix people? Like we're good at that. We're really good at pointing the finger. And we think it's going to solve something how is it going? Like, it just doesn't work. What actually works is putting up the mirror and going, no, I can't control them, but I can repent because repentance speaks. Repentance is a signpost that says the, the coming, the, the kingdom of Jesus is coming. And my life is a signpost. It's going to reflect this. It's going to say that. And when I repent, it says, nope, I don't have it all together. I'm messed up, and this world is too. But one day, Jesus is returning. And so here's a glimpse of what it's supposed to be like, and Jesus is going to make it that way one day. As the, the band comes up to lead us in a few songs, will you stand with me? I want to close by rereading the psalm that we read together. We'll, we'll read this together out of Psalm 139. Pablo, it should be in that um, second to last song, Blessed Assurance. Read this with me. May this be our heart, our, our proclamation today to seek repentance, to dive into that stream over and over again. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. As we continue to worship, we do so in response every week. Uh, the first way normally is through reflection. Uh, this week we didn't have confession earlier because 
our whole sermon was about repentance. And so I want to give you a, a few minutes, and, and throughout these few minutes, feel free to sit, stand, walk, do whatever you need to do to repent. And, and so reflection of today looks like, God, what are the hats I wear? What are the roles I'm in? God, what does it look like to be human the way you made me to be in those roles? God, show me where there's a gap. I want to repent. God, transform my heart and you lead me. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Reflect on that. What does that look like for you? The second way we respond is every week by taking communion, whether individually or with your family or communion. And so there's one station up here or there's three in the back. And, and the reason we do this every week is because we're depending on God to be the one that transforms us. As you take the bread and dip it into the cup, we're remembering that Jesus died that he was nailed to a cross and that he was put in a grave and he was dead for three days, but that he rose again, that he is victorious over sin, he was victorious over the cross, he's victorious over the lies of Satan and his brilliant salesmanship, that he's victorious over death and that through faith Christ is in you. His power, his love is working in you to transform your heart. And so repentance can happen because he's good. So take communion as, as part of response. Feel free during the next songs to walk up to any one of these stations at any point. And then lastly, um, giving is one of the forms of worship. And so we have two boxes for giving in the back of the room or there's instructions on how you can give online if you'd like to do so. Let's continue to worship now in our response.